Sunday marked the third mass shooting in Kailicha just short of two months, and residents say they are feeling increasingly unsafe. It was still early evening when a hail of bullets descended on locals outside a spaza shop in Site C, killing six men. Police said on Monday that a network of crimes would be investigated as possible motives behind the shootings, including gangsterism and extortion. No arrests have been made. I'm Amy Gibbings, a journalist for News 24's multimedia department, and this is The Story. This week, we'll be talking to News 24 reporter Jenny Evans on the recent spate of mass shootings in Cape Town's largest township. Later, researcher with the Social Justice Coalition, Tandor George, will shed some light on the reasons behind these killings and how people are feeling on the ground. You're listening to The Story. It's a podcast by News 24. We'll speak to journalists and experts about the week's biggest story. This is what we saw, heard and uncovered this week. Jenny, this is the third mass killing in Kailicha since March, and according to the Western Cape Community Safety and Police Oversight MEC Regan Allen, there have been 400 mass shootings in the province between January 2019 and December 2021. Are we seeing an increasing trend in these tragic events in Kailicha? Well, I, I don't know where all the other shootings were in the rest of the Western Cape, but certainly I'm, I feel as though there are more in Kailicha. It's almost as if you have one shooting and you think that's it, and then a few weeks later there's another one, and it's just as bad. Yeah, it, it's, it's been scary, to, to say the least. Just this week, two arrests were made in connection with the mass shooting in Envlovini in March, which claimed the lives of five people. And on Tuesday, the accused suspect in the Enkanini shooting was awarded 800 rand bail, which is pretty shocking and doesn't give people much peace of mind. I think, yeah, people did complain about that. They were saying that uh, they, they want to know why he's still out on the street, given the seriousness of the crime. But bail, again, is really just to make sure you, get, you, you go back to court. It's to make sure you honour your court date. And, that's, you know, they check whether you're a flight risk, if they've checked out where you're going to live and they feel that you will go back to court again. You know, the chances are pretty good that you're going to get bail. But it just, I don't, I don't think it makes people feel okay because they're not sure. This guy might be totally innocent, but he's still out and about. What I find quite interesting is if you have a sort of terrorist event overseas where someone opens fire on people outside a mall, it gets a lot of attention, a lot of media coverage, a lot of concern. Whereas now in less than two months, we've had three mass shootings. And I think collectively, more than 15 people have been murdered. It's strange that it's just sort of cast aside with little uproar. What do you have to say for that? I think people can become desensitized if it happens over and over again, which in this case it is. But it doesn't mean that it's it's not severely affecting the people who live in that area. How do you think people, you know, from your reporting on the ground, I know that you went to the site on Monday, how are people feeling? What What, what was the sense that you got from the site on Monday? Well, firstly, people will say that they didn't see anything, which I can completely understand, because if you don't know who you're dealing with, you don't know if you'll be eliminated if you um, give the police incriminating evidence. The police raised this as well. They said it's a problem right in the beginning. Nobody sees anything. Nobody hears anything apart from the shots, of course. But uh, what I did pick up was that that area is a combination of of freestanding brick houses and shacks. So now you can imagine running for cover into a shack. You are honestly not going to have much of a chance um, if, if, if a 
bullets is fired in your direction, it's going to go right through the corrugated iron. And that was raised as, as a fear. That's, I mean, people are really, really worried because where do you even run to? On Monday, I know that police came to visit the site as well. What are, what are the speculations behind what triggered this event? Well, the um, Western Cape uh, Police Commissioner, uh, Lieutenant General Tembisile Patikile, he said that he explained it as investigating a network of crimes, a lot of crimes that are interconnected. He, he mentioned extortion, drug rivalry, drug turf, um, hijackings, taxi violence, and he says somehow those are all kind of interconnected. So I'm imagining a kind of parallel economy that's, that's difficult to crack. And you can also get a clue from the team that's investigating it. It's the organized crime unit. So they, they certainly are taking very seriously the possibility that it might be a criminal enterprise, just, um, just from what I, what I think. It was reported that the shootings occurred when about 20 police vehicles were on patrol in the Kailicha area. What does this say about the police's effectiveness and the confidence people have in keeping them safe? From what you've said before, it sounds a bit like a rogue state where people are just fearing and not knowing what's going to happen next around the corner. Well, I think the shooting of, of 15 May 2021 really showed us a lot because 13 people were killed in that day all across Kailicha in different places. It started off in one place, then it was at another place. And at the time, I was told that, the, that as the police rushed to a scene and were all gathered at one scene, there was a shooting much further away. So now they've got all their vehicles in this place, so that place is open, so there's a shooting there for the shooter. So it's, it's I suspect that... If it is an enterprise, I would suspect that they probably are communicating with each other very well to make sure that they evade the police. Because you must remember that Kailicha was established in 1985 um, and, and um, the apartheid government was quite deep into their separate developments at the time. Okay, So they were really trying to create these layers of, of who they thought should be closest to the city. So, so it would be white people, who people that they called coloured, and then Indian people would live in. And so that Kailicha was established right sort of on the outskirts of the city. And at the same time, there was an in, in, a thing called influx control in place. So if you wanted to go from the um, the so-called what they called a homeland in those days, which was was which was a pseudo independent state, you had to have a permit and you had to have, be able to travel. So already to get to Kailicha, if you combine it with the um, forced removals to put people into Kailicha, and this business of having a permit to to drive from one end of the other in, to the other in your own country, you're already creating a subculture of resistance to authority. Uh, people f learn very easily, very quickly how to fly under the radar, because if you want to go and visit your daughter, for example, you need a permit or, you know, it was, they made it really, really difficult for people to just conduct normal life and to travel normally. So it, I don't think we should be at all surprised that, that Kailicha started already with, with a system of, of resisting authority because of those, those very criminal circumstances. And then after the elections in 1994, people, there was no kind of real planning. It was just kind of haphazard when people came in and started building. There was some planning, of course, but generally it was pretty haphazard. And uh, people started moving to, you got now, you could quite easily move to Cape Town, for example. You didn't need this permit. So, of course, I'm going to go to Cape Town now. I'll get my house later, whatever. So the, the actual town planning was more of an afterthought in, in many cases. So what you have now in Kailicha, 
especially over the last three years with severe accommodation shortages and a, and a desperate need for land. You have suburbs springing up. When I say overnight, you'll see like three, four shacks coming up in land that was empty. And then within two weeks, you will just see a sea of brand new silver corrugated iron. So what happens there is there's no planning there either. So now if you're, you've got, they've got, um, I'll have to check, but I think three quite busy police stations already. So now you've got this enormous arrival of new people. I mean, they're quite entitled to, to, to live wherever they like in South Africa, but there's no planning for it. Um, and suddenly the police must also now patrol this extra, like, enormous community. Houses are built right really close to the, the um, shacks are built really close to each other. So it's pretty easy, if, if you were criminally minded, it's pretty easy to set yourself up there because you can get in and out really quickly. The police can't drive down a road and chase after you. All you have to do is just disappear amongst the shacks. So I think that um, informal, I call them governments because I can't think of a better word for it, but I think informal systems of governance are being formed there as well. And perhaps... I, I don't know, Amy, I don't even know if this is this is right, but I just think it's really difficult from a policing point of view to crack Absolutely. this. Absolutely. Because you can't, you can't, you know, as a journalist, you, you can't just arrive without making arrangements because people want to know who are you, what are you here for, who, why do you need to film me, you know, it's, it's, actually so bad now for reporters we used to be able to go and hear all these stories and get so much more information but now and you you literally have to have a police escort because so many journalists almost all of the journalists go that go there have been robbed at some point and this really makes it difficult for us to find out what is really happening I couldn't agree more. It actually brings to mind an incident where um, when I was still working as a freelancer and we went in with a bunch of photojournalists into Site C particularly, actually, and we were robbed at gunpoint. And in a few seconds, the suspects had disappeared into what felt sort of like a maze. And I can just imagine how challenging it would be for police to even begin a search or an investigation. As you say, there's almost like a pseudo governance and, and people running the show that is ex excludes the police and any sort of authority. And I'm not surprised, you know, it, it makes sense that it would have developed that way. Well, I think it makes sense because you need you need to have some form of organisation in a place like that. If there is if there is a complete vacuum in in, in authority as we know it, which there is, and um, as a policeman as well, how would you cultivate an inform an informant network um, um, overnight? You can't. That takes a long time to find the right person to be able to trust, and the suburbs are springing up like this. And um, I, I think the police feel maybe um, it's. They might at times feel they're a little bit out of the loop, but they get it. They get it eventually. They, they, I mean, the arrest, they went as far as the Eastern Cape to find one of the people for one of the shootings. So they're certainly on it, but it's taking longer than it, than, than it would have otherwise if, if they'd been able to drive down a street, chase after someone, follow clues. It's difficult, I think, for them and for the people who live there. Thank you, Jenny. You've made some really valuable insights um, professionally and personally. Thank you for your time. That was News 24 reporter Jenny Evans. We're now joined by researcher and communications officer for the Social Justice Coalition based in Kailicha, Tandor George. Thank you for talking to us today, Tandor. Tell me, what are people speculating might be behind these mass shootings and particularly the most recent shooting in Site C? 
So people are, you know, speculating quite a lot of things. Um, some are attributing the shootings to maybe um, things called protection fees or extortion fees. Some are speculating that it might be gang-related activities. So, you know, because there's a lack of clarity that we're getting from SAPS, um, you know, that's what kind of what people are, are speculating on the ground. Tando, how are community members feeling at the moment? What is the mood like on the ground? I read a terrible account of bodies just strewn across the road with bullet cartridges littering the ground. It's a very traumatizing scene, one can imagine. Residents of informal settlements have, have been feeling unsafe for quite some time. Um, they, they, they continue to feel unsafe. Um, they feel forgotten by you know our government. Um, because nothing has really been done. There are no concrete solutions being brought forward to to show that you know there's urgency in terms of fighting crime and urgency in ensuring that people living in formal settlements are safe. Is extortion a big issue in Kyalicha? Do you believe that it might have been behind the other shootings that happened in March? Um, I mean, so I, I I can't conclusively say that. Um, however, you know. Community members have have said that, you know, these things do happen, um, that sometimes people who own sponsor shops um, can be victims of of extortion fees. What is the solution to something like this? Community members, shop owners already feel so vulnerable. Things are already tough. The economy's down. What kind of interventions do you think are needed? Does the Social Justice Coalition have a plan in mind? So, I mean, in, in 2014, um, the Kyle Commission of Inquiry um, recommendations were released. Um, and that whole process, obviously, it, it involved all the stakeholders. So police was involved, um, researchers were involved, um, and, the, and the community also was involved. And they came together to, you know, give testimony to the violence that's happening in formal settlements. And some of those recommendations provided steps um, that, you know, SAPS could use going forward to, to make communities safer. And some of those were just um, installing cameras and and ensuring that those cameras are well maintained so that the police, to help the police um, when they investigate. Other solutions were increased public lighting because people don't feel safe more so at night um, because of high mass lighting and in some instances, instances, no public lighting at all. Um, So it requires a holistic um, intervention, not just, um, you know, a um, one-sided approach, which is kind of what we've been seeing. Um, We've been seeing Minister Tele coming to communities, um, trying to talk to people, to calm them, but people need more than that. People are actually needing to see change. We are needing more resources, more finances being put towards um, actively combating crime. Um, we're needing more um, detectives and investigators on the ground. So it requires um, a lot of interventions. It requires um, stakeholders. It requires also for the minister to listen to the communities. Um, because what we see is um, the, the minister will come at the wake of you know, a tragedy. But in between, um, there's very little engagement, very little meaningful engagement between him and the community members. So it's going to require local government as well to come to the party. It's requiring everyone to have um, a hands-on approach. And it's requiring, I mean, we always say um, political will, political will, but I mean, that's it, right? Um, The research is there. Um, Civil society is willing to come and discuss and and find solutions. you know, we're extending the olive branch, not just the Social Justice Coalition, but so many other civil society organizations are willing to offer their expertise. Um, and we just need that moment where the government can can acknowledge that and, and come and we can exchange ideas. And because we all want the same thing at the end of the day, we all want safe communities for everyone. Uh, implementation 
and you know plans that can be sustained um, not just you know media ops and cameras but you know what happens after that and how do we ensure that we can maintain that positive change moving forward thank you for your time and your really valuable insight that was tando george from the social justice coalition that's all we have time for today i'm amy gibbings